Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your Crave. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May of 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. There's no place to escape to. This is the last podcast. On the left. (laughs) That's when the cannibalism started. What was that? I had honestly the best meal of my life. It was a piece of foie gras the size of a fucking CD. Like, Ugh. it was so fucking floppy. Ugh. That goose, that goose must have been so fat by the time <laughs> it was over. That goose was living its best life. Its best for, life being force-fed constantly? For about six weeks. <laughs> it was being fed. Honestly, that goose is the same thing as if if you hacked open Gracie, our former dog, <laughs> And I'd eaten that sweet, sweet liver of Gracie. That would have been the most delicious fraud dog. I'm calling oh, it fraud wow. dog. Wow. God, it would have been so succulent. Just her just rolling around her own filth. You should have eaten that dog. Why not? Filled with butter. <laughs> it would have been like a croissant. What of the last? Been so flaky. Can we? Can we have to start the show? I know you're in a food paradise right now. Oh my God, it was good. All right, this is the last podcast on the left. I am Ben Kissel. That's Marcus Parks. Hey, hey. Hey. Marcus Parks is wearing his Jacksonville Jumbo Shrimp shirt today. You look amazing, I'm sir. I'm fucking here to play a game, motherfucker. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> I'd like wow. to thank a, a fan out in Colorado who gave this to me. I love it. And, of course, we got H-Bone over there in Los Angeles. I feel like yes. I want to do this morning's, uh, morning zoo style. H-Bone in Los Angeles. <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> the dogs are out. <laughs> uh, wow. So today's episode, we got we got a two-parter here. This is a long time in the making, and I'm absolutely thrilled. I can't wait to get into Kurt. Cobain and Courtney Love. What happened? She did it. All right, we don't. She not, did it. And Maybe. that's the end of the episode. So goodbye, everybody. Ugh. No. no, that's Henry Zabrowski's theory. Obviously, <laughs> as he screams it from the mountaintops. To Courtney <laughs> Just did it. But there's ruining a, it right up top. No, no. There's a lot more uh, that people didn't uh, that are, that people aren't aware of because the narrative has been so uh, uh, the lies have just been so uh, pervasive in this story. It, there's a lot of ins and outs of this case. It is uh, extremely complicated and it inspires a lot of emotion in people yes. one, one way or another did it. <laughs> can, can you leave it alone for a second did it. for example henry's uh, incoherent ramblings on the other end <laughs> yeah it does inspire a, a lot of emotion in people because Kurt Cobain was so goddamn popular nirvana Absolutely. was so amazingly popular and he meant so much to, to so many people i mean for all of us you know i'm 35 years old so uh 1992 1993 nirvana unplugged i was 11 12 13 years old overweight alone uh all i had 
had was skinny little Kurt, who was much more handsome than me. And uh, but Nirvana was extremely influential in my depression and getting me out of it. I I of course started this entire episode thinking Courtney Love was the worst human being in the th- on the face of the planet. But the more and more I researched about her and read a couple articles and watched t- several interviews with her, I think that she's not the worst. She was just incredibly ambitious at mm. a time when it was not very stylish to be ambitious. Sure. And, and also a lot of ambitious people are manipulative terrible manipulative people yeah. like to be would that- know anything about that <laughs> but at the same time she was also a great musician and uh, and hole was a solid band so let's get into this yeah so kurt cobain if you don't know because we've got a lot of younger listeners here it meant a lot to your uncle <laughs> yes he okay? did and we're technically I am all the face your- of uncles everywhere yes, exactly <laughs> and body of uncles everywhere yeah. well kurt cobain was the lead singer of the 90s rock band nirvana and in my opinion was america's last true rock star hmm. On April 8th, 1994, Cobain was found at his Seattle, Washington home, dead from the double whammy of a massive heroin OD coupled with an apparent self-inflicted gunshot wound to the head. Apparent. There are some that believe that Cobain did not commit suicide and was, in fact, killed by persons unknown, although most point towards his soon-to-be ex-wife, Courtney Love, then the lead singer of the rock band Hole. Now, our aim on this series is to present both sides of the argument, both suicide and homicide, because honestly, if there was any solid evidence that Courtney Love was responsible for his death, she would be in jail right now. And by the way, can you imagine watching Courtney Love in a female prison? She would be the warden in like (laughs) four minutes. Is it bad that I just popped like a crazy boner? No, that's allowed. Thinking of that, it's very conflicting. Honestly, she was so public about it and she talked so much fucking shit about the trial and about his suicide and all that stuff. She would definitely be in jail right now if they could figure out how to put her in jail. Yeah, They would have loved to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, we would play some Nirvana tracks for you mm-hmm. here on the show today, but Courtney Love owns the rights to most of Nirvana's tunes, and I'm honestly more afraid of Courtney Love than I am of the Church of Scientology. Rightfully so. So, if you've never heard Nirvana or only know the hits, I made a Spotify playlist of my favorite Nirvana tracks, along with some of the original versions of songs that Nirvana covered on Incesticide and Unplugged. And you can find those if you search my name on Spotify. All right. Now, I will say that in doing the research of the life of Kurt Cobain, particularly his time with Courtney Love, I don't know if I have ever rolled my eyes as much as I have while hearing these people talk. They are obnoxious. (laughs) They are. I mean, they're kids. Are they obnoxious because they're musicians or are they obnoxious because they're addicted to heroin? Uh Bit of both. Little Bit of both. Bit of both. Okay. Call me, call me. Yeah, call because me, call heroin me. does not make you an interesting person. No, it <laughs> it's really actually doesn't. quite the opposite. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I, and there are also musicians and, and a lot of musicians, particularly like the super brilliant ones like Kurt Cobain, mm-hmm. uh, not particularly great people, not particularly nice people. A lot of them are super obnoxious and kind of boring. That's why they learned to play the guitar. <laughs> Let the guitar talk. Yeah, exactly. I remember listening, listening to an interview with Jimi Hendrix and I was so surprised. Because he was just like, you know, this the, the guitar is just like a piano, but it's thinner. <laughs> like he would just say like dumb shit. I mean, like, why? Well, I thought Jimi Hendrix would be brilliant, right? <laughs> However. I think that Generation X, as well as Kurt Cobain, is misunderstood. People looked on him like they were all doom and gloom with a mm-hmm. soundtrack of like super depressing music. But Generation X actually did have a pretty good sense of humor. 
they were just insufferable smartasses. Well, I think we got a lot of our sense of humor from Generation X. Obviously, we do fairly uh, dark humor, gallows humor, mm-hmm. one might call it, here at Last Podcast on the Left, and they probably have an influence on that. Oh, yeah. But Fuck Ms- you, Kissel. <laughs> they probably do, Henry. <laughs> yeah, Mr. Show, Kids in the oh, Hall. Oh, sure. Uh, I mean, those guys, they were funny as hell. A lot of these musicians uh, were funny as hell, too. And that's the thing about Kurt Cobain. The HBO documentary Montage of Heck seems to be pretty hell-bent on portraying Kurt Cobain like a constantly-on-the-edge basket case who might as well have been holding a gun to his head since his parents' divorce when he was a kid. Hmm. The entire time I was watching that documentary, just like... <laughs> Go fuck yourself. This is so, oh my God, everyone, they're twisting everybody's words. They just play right. sad songs. They would show all of these footage of like, Kurt Cobain would just get a camera running around. And he was like a very artistically expressive kid. And they try to put him on drugs when he was a kid for ADHD and like problems paying attention. Like we all did. Like I did. Yes, I was yeah. chained to a fucking grocery cart. That's how they solved my problem. Oh, well that's probably healthy for your, for your overall love of food and consumption. <laughs> yes, it definitely a weird sexual thing with having a chain from my waist of my onesie jumper to the grocery cart while I ran towards food. So you were basically like Bob from Dawn of the Dead, but like when a person would walk by him, but instead it was just like a a thing of trick cereal or something. Yes. But he would fill, he would just get a camera and he was always like doing little art projects and it was like him filming dogs and Mm -hmm. stuff. And then they just like put over it like something in way, like over each footage and be like, this isn't sad. This is dumb shit kid fucking around with a video camera. That's what I did. But it was also a perfect, um, I guess, uh, uh, it was a reaction to the 80s when everyone was so happy and everything was glitter and glam and they were just like, screw all that. Yeah, and they also took uh, footage from uh, 1991, the year Punk Broke, which was a a documentary that uh, a lot of the guys with, it, it was mostly focused on Sonic Youth, like a tour that Sonic Youth, Nirvana, uh, and Dinosaur Jr. did in Europe uh, in the early 90s. Uh, and they play that as some sort of rock star out of control type of moment. Uh, like, look at how out of control he is. But it's just a bunch of goofy kids having fun. Right. Because that's what you also got to remember. These are kids. Mm-hmm. I mean, when, Nerv- when Nevermind hit, uh, Kirk Cobain, I think, was 24. Wow. Dave Grohl, the drummer, 21, 22. Mm. They were abs- They were just kids. So they were. They Do you were imagine really- if you were given several million dollars as a twenty-four-year-old? All of my clothes would be beer can hats. <laughs> <laughs> I believe I might be dressing similarly similarly to you as well, and my nostrils wouldn't exist. It would just be one. It would just be one hole, like an anteater or something. Well, about Kurt Cobain and his general temperament, uh, a lot of his friends said that the suicide came as a complete and total surprise. They never said that he was suicidal. Sure, he made some hyperbolic statements, and one of the tracks left off in utero was "I hate myself and I want to die." But even Kurt himself said emphatically that that was just a joke. It was a smart-ass thing that he would say when people asked him, hey, Kurt, how are you doing? He'd go, I hate myself and want to die. That's funny. It was just a joke. Yeah. You know, not a particularly great joke, but a joke nonetheless. Mm -hmm. He's not a comedian. No. He would have been the worst comedian of all time. (laughs) Well, technically, the comedic version of Kurt Cobain would be Mitch Hedberg, right? (laughs) Yeah, I guess And uh, and Mitch Hedberg, many uh, comedians that I know worked with him on the road towards the waning days of his life. And he would just get in the fetal position after shows, hang out in his hotel room. That's heroin. (laughs) Yeah. You know, it was not good for him. No. Sounds relaxing, honestly. He, I don't know. It's like, you, it is, is shaking exercise? <laughs> That's what I'm not quite sure about. In the 1920s, it was. Okay. <laughs> now, was Kurt Cobain depressed? Sure. He was a Gen Xer. 
A lot of them were depressed and moody and surly most of the time, except for Dave Grohl, mm. who always seemed to be happy, and Sonic Youth, uh, who seemed to have a pretty good time most of the time. The only person who ever said Kurt Cobain was suicidal mm. was his wife, Courtney Love, and she never mentioned anything about suicide to anyone until after his death, although it must be said that all those close to him accept the suicide conclusion, at least publicly. Mm. Now, you have to remember, when someone's really super, super famous, everybody in their, in, their, in their weird circle around them wants to show the world that they know them better than anybody else. Right. Like Kurt Cobain was about property. People viewed him as a piece of property. Mm -hmm. His friends back at home said the whole thing about how he never wanted to commit suicide. He was happy-go-lucky. We really knew Kurt. We're the ones that knew Kurt. Other people didn't know Kurt. Courtney comes out and says he wanted to commit suicide. It's the only thing I ever talk about. I'm the only one who knows Kurt. Meanwhile, Kurt's nowhere in this conversation because he's so fucked up and now useless because he's so famous or whatever it is he's dealing with all the time. Well, he's and he's got a lot of pressure on him. He's very fragile. He's just a person. He's like, I want a pastrami sandwich. I was thinking about maybe having gin for lunch. Or that be, I mean, he's just a dude. Yeah. So the problem is that this whole story is marred by people talking shit that they don't know anything about. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. I mean, this is a, a huge story of he said, she said, with some evidence thrown in there uh, for good measure. But Courtney, that's the thing, is that Courtney, when she started talking, especially after the suicide, she started hitting the suicide angle Hard right as soon as Kurt was dead. In many interviews that she immediately gave, she said that Kurt was the third or fourth fam person in his family to commit suicide, mm. calling it the Cobain curse. But the thing is, nobody in Kurt Cobain's family actually committed suicide before Kurt. The other ones that are cited a lot of the times, they were violent deaths, yeah, but they were accidents, although they could be twisted to look like suicides. But they are like such weird accidents. Like his uncle like dropped his gun and he got shot in the chest. He was a police officer. Hmm. He dropped his gun. He popped up saying like, hey, is everybody okay? He didn't realize he fatally shot himself and then he dropped. It's like these these things are like, it just comes from a legacy of losers. It's <laughs> People possible. who die on accident. It is also sort of people who put themselves in positions where death might be more likely, like a father who is disgruntled and hates his life. And he's like, it's raining outside. I'm going to go fix the antenna on the roof. Every time it rains, <laughs> He goes and fixes the antenna. He's just like, maybe this time, strike I dare me. you to hit me. Strike I dare you to hit me, you false god. <laughs> well, the other one, the other uh, violent death uh, was an uncle, like a granduncle who uh, felt, had an aneurysm and fell down the stairs. And how they get to the suicide angle with that is they say that he was warned that if he didn't stop drinking, then he was probably going to die. But he kept drinking, kind of like how Kurt Cobain kept doing heroin and mm. kept putting himself in dangerous situations. So perhaps a, a curse of addiction would be more uh, uh, appropriate. Yeah, I'd say so. Right. You mean addiction to rock and roll lifestyle? Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Nothing groovier than a brain aneurysm. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. No, the reason why these half-truths and many other half-truths were repeated ad nauseum without any fact-checking was because the main source of news during the aftermath of Kurt Cobain's death was Kurt Loder from MTV News, mm. who repeated everything Courtney said as Bible fact, and the rest of the media followed their lead. When you rewatch that footage of Kurt Loder, you could tell that he, he, this is his Walter Cronkite moment. Yeah. He is... <laughs> 
putting on the serious face. He's got the old school Apple computer in front of him. Like he's clicking clacking on the very ancient internet. It's pretty impressive. Yeah, yeah. This is 1994. I mean, it's, it's very odd to try to explain to people uh, who weren't around then what MTV was like yeah. in 1994. Totally I mean, different. MTV News was something that you watched every week and it was like, what's going on with Soundgarden this week? It was pretty awesome. And then you, <laughs> I'll never forget when I actually got to see uh, Slash's face. <laughs> They're like, it, they revealed it sort of. It was a really a special occasion. And Kurt Loder- And it's literally just sunglasses grafted onto skin. Basically. <laughs> I can't get them off. I can't get them off if I want to. Oh, yeah. MTV News was awesome. Kurt Loder is the reason Kennedy became a libertarian, little known fact. Really? Yes. Wow. Well, I just remember Tabitha Soren. Oh. Yeah. Oh, Tabitha Soren yeah. was a big part of this as well. It was Kurt, it was Kurt and Tabitha. They were the co-anchors of MTV News. This, this is the most uncle episode we've ever had. <laughs> come here, come here closer. Let me tell you what it was like when they used to have funny little interstitials on MTV. It wasn't all just zip-zapping Atlanta's hot wives of soccer players or whatever it is now, little child. Hot wives Son, of soccer players has to exist. Son, sit down. It's time for me to tell you about a little show called The Head. Tabitha, <laughs> Tabitha Shorn. The head was amazing. Oh, the head was great. Now, concerning those half-truths, the first thing you got to know about Courtney Love is that she's a liar. She's manipulative. Nothing she says can be trusted as her statements have been disproven again mm. and again or contradicted by herself throughout mm. the years. But on the other hand, Kurt was also a liar. Buzz Osborne of the Melvins, who went to high school with Kurt, said that Kurt was, quote, the master of jerking your chain. Mm. He said, and I'm inclined to agree with him, that 90% of Montage of Heck is bullshit. Oh, yeah. It's all about putting sad music under fucking childhood drawings. It's the whole fucking documentary. Right. Yeah. Now, there's a story told in the movie through a recording Kurt made about how he had once tried to fuck a special needs girl when he was in high school, Mm -hmm. and when everyone found out, he tried to kill himself by laying in front of a train with a cinder block on his chest, but the train switched tracks at the last minute. Now, Buzz said that there was no way in hell he wouldn't have heard this story already, as Aberdeen Washington, where they grew up, was a small town. Besides, Buzz, along with all the rest of his friends, would have given sh- Kurt shit about this constantly. Yeah. Rightly so, I if mean, it had actually happened. This is pre-internet era, so this was uh, that was the rumor mill all around uh, middle school and high school were, were these uh, uh, interesting stories. Yeah. It's also important, I think it's important for people to realize that, like, any ambitious, any ambitious rock star that wants to make it, right, who has any idea of a future scope. Courtney Love was very naked about that. She said what she wanted. She saw a hole. Like, oh, God, that's a funny little. It's a fun pun. She saw a hole in music that she could put herself into where she created this sort of new persona for herself. If you don't think that Kurt Cobain had the same idea uh, from early on, that once you realize you get the camera in front of you, now you can recreate your whole past in order to make it so iconic who you are and then a part of this story was about him the loser prince like he created this really gross story as a part of like almost like making him relatable to gross losers and it's a part of his 
fucking brand. Well, Courtney was great at branding. And the interesting thing, I had a chance to uh, to speak with somebody who got to know Courtney Love uh, fairly intimately, uh, working on a project with her. And he was saying how she could tell when a rock star was about to break. Mm-hmm. And she would just hook up with them during that time. And you do wonder, did she help promote them? Because she was out there. She was vocal. She was a heck of a character. And uh, I don't, I mean, obviously she did some negative, she did many negative things. But she did have a good business sense in that way. She did, but she wasn't really involved in all that. By the time Courtney Love came around, Nevermind had already come out, and it had been out for a, a little while at that point. I mean, the, the thing is about Nevermind and about Nirvana is that nobody expected this to be a hit. It right. came completely organically. Uh, kind of like this podcast. Yeah. Huh. yeah. Huh. Who's going to huh. die first? <laughs> Not it. Not it. Oh, Marcus, you're gonna oh, die first. Oh, oh, now I gotta ask myself: Did I say? Did I get? Did I not say it on purpose? Oh, I don't no. know, buddy. Well, either way, you're dead, so it really doesn't matter. This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace. Finding work-life balance can be tough, but Squarespace gives you the tools to reach your goals and have time to celebrate. Squarespace is the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. With the new guided design system, Squarespace Blueprint, you can select from curated layout and styling options to create a personalized website optimized for every device. Get your website discovered fast with integrated, optimized SEO tools. Plus, make checkout easy for customers with easy-to-use payment tools. And with Squarespace AI, you can explain what your site is about, choose your tone, enter what you need, and get auto-generated text. And that helps you save time. I know I'm sitting on about two literal wheelbarrows filled with horse pics. Now, part of the issue has been is a lot of these pictures are getting stopped at customs because some of them do depict various world leaders in horse-like circumstances that seems to be pinging a lot of these custom agents accounts. Now, so what I've done to do is like, so while I'm trying to work on hand smuggling these horse picks over various country borders. I then also have time because Squarespace is doing all the other ad work for me to go and work on my killdozer at home. So thank you, Squarespace, for allowing me to diversify in the best way possible for this country. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial when you're ready to launch. Go to squarespace.com slash left to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It says here I have to talk about something I need to get off my chest, and I guess I can share it here. I I eat mayonnaise for fun. It's a hobby of mine, and it's an addiction. It's a daily weight on my life. How much I need whipped egg whites and oil crammed into my veins. As soon as I wake up, and a lot of people carry around a lot of different stressors, big and small. Some people are presidents. Some people are soldiers. Some people have to eat mayonnaise, especially with hard-boiled eggs, which is what I eat for lunch. But I guess I should share that in therapy. Because therapy is a safe place to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And what I do is I just add eggs if I have mayonnaise left over. I just continue to add the eggs. But if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. I hope they can help me. My God. I hope they can help me. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash LastPod today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp! 
H-E-L-P.com slash last pod. Hi, did you know Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in the U.S. with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers in the U.S.? They have everything you could possibly want, like fruit trees, palm trees, evergreens, houseplants, and so much more. Whatever you're interested in, they have it for you. Find the perfect fit for your climate and space. That's one of my favorite things about it. Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee, they offer free plant consultation forever. Now, personally, I'm in the middle of re-landscaping my yard. I like to do it myself because I called up a landscaper to see how much it costs and it was absolutely insane. Plus, I love dirt. I love getting my hands in the dirt, and I love planting things myself. And Fast Growing Trees has given me some wonderful plants that I can use. Like I got this uh, Texas sage, purple. I've dug up a whole bunch of horrible bushes and shrubs up in front of my window and in front of my house and put some purple Texas sage up there, and it's going to thrive, and it's going to look real good. And I don't even have to go to a nursery to buy it. It came to my house. Now, this spring, they have the best deals online, up to half off on select plants and other deals. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code LEFT at checkout. That's an additional 15% off at FastGrowingTrees.com using the code LEFT at checkout. FastGrowingTrees.com, code LEFT. Offers valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. You see, in my head, Courtney Love was like the pallbearer to Kurt Cobain's <laughs> Undertaker. I, I have to approve it. That's a WWE <laughs> reference, and I love it. Same makeup. Well, furthermore, concerning the documentary, they take a lot of his journal entries completely out of context to reinforce the idea that he was massively suicidal, shaping them to form a narrative, because that's the narrative that they were telling, that he was a poor tortured soul who mm-hmm. was constantly on the edge uh, and just killed himself one day, or at least that his suicide was just completely inevitable. And also, at this time, we did have a disconnect with our celebrities, as opposed to now where you can follow them on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Like, there wasn't, uh, there was that notion of you want your rock stars dead, sort of that classic Bill Hicks bit and stuff mm-hmm. like that, as opposed to now where it's like, I follow them on Twitter, and you have more of an intimate relationship. Yeah. Kurt Cobain was a larger, uh, he represented something much larger than just a human being. Yeah, and also Nirvana hated giving interviews and they hated the rock press uh, so you were it was pretty rare that you could yeah. get any like actual rare tidbit of information out of these guys and at the center of that entire narrative of Kurt Cobain being the tortured soul whose suicide was inevitable was Courtney Love who comes off looking just tarnished enough in the movie but otherwise rosy as fuck as the only person who ever truly understood Kurt yeah there's some things in there that make her look bad uh, but for the most part she really is portrayed as a loving wife who fucked up a couple of times but it completely glosses over how fucking tumultuous their relationship really was well she also approached the director of the documentary to make the documentary it's Mm -hmm. funny how it becomes like that, how you become the hero of the story when you ask a dude to make a documentary about your dead ex-husband. Yeah, and I will, I guess I'm going to just describe their parenting techniques as unique. Uh, That's (laughs) the best I could say, I guess. Now, Courtney Love admittedly is indeed a brilliant person. 
albeit highly manipulative. One of the caseworkers at a reform school she was sent to as a teenager called Courtney the most shrewd, cunning, devious person the caseworker had ever seen, something that Courtney was very proud of. But one thing she didn't necessarily let slip is that she was a trust fund kid. When she was 16, she sued for emancipation from her mother and received an $800 a month stipend, almost $2,000 in today's money. And she used that money to insert herself in certain scenes. She showed she would show up with like a suitcase full of acid. Or when mm. she started going to uh, band practices to hang out with people, she'd buy all the food. Uh, so she got people to trust her that way. That's how she got her foot in the door a lot of times. Hmm. Now you can say that's either manipulative or it's or you can say it's actually just a good idea and a part of business. She saw a thing that she wanted to be a part of, and essentially that just makes you a producer. Like right. in nowadays terms, that's just what a producer does. A producer shows up with money and does things to make things quote unquote easier or or help things along. So in a way, mm-hmm. it's it was like she was creating jobs. She was go- walking into a place being like, I will provide the funding. Courtney Love was creating what, jobs. Is she the so, fucking yeah. Warren Buffett of alternative rock? <laughs> yeah. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> Same makeup. It's about small job creation. It's all about that. Small it's job about creation. Yeah, trickle down. <laughs> <laughs> well, Courtney, she was also mean as fuck. Yeah, <laughs> she's a fucking horrible bitch. <laughs> <laughs> she's the worst, worst person in the world. Oh, she's horrible. She says terrible things that aren't true about people. Like she said that Dave Grohl tried to fuck her daughter. Like well, just well, all right. She does look just like her. Well, the weird thing is about uh, Francis Bean Cobain, Courtney and Kurt's daughter, is that when she was first born, she looked just like Kurt. But as she's gotten older and has gotten closer to her mother, she looks a lot more like Courtney. That's just no. How she shaved work. down her face though. She had some work done. She shaved her face down to make it look thinner. She was getting the broad face. The this Courtney is not face entertainment she- tonight. <laughs> we don't. I don't care about this child. <laughs> well. Courtney's father, who has no doubt that Courtney had Kurt killed, but has his own agenda and is a pretty big piece of shit in his own right, uh, said she would make fun of his weight and taunt him about his looks. This is what he said. She had this knack for making me feel worthless and ugly. She's so good at putting people down. She used to write me letters and call me her fat fucking father. And I was like, hey, let's just fucking slow this down for a second. You know what I mean? Maybe call me bald first. I don't know. Obviously, I'm I'm sensitive about the weight. She seems to really have, uh, have, uh, have changed you in a way, made you sadder. Yeah, yeah. Hasn't changed the weight, though. <laughs> That's the problem. Still you, pretty big. Can you imagine your father just being so emotionally tormented by it? It's kind Could of you funny. imagine calling your father fat? It's kind of funny. Uh, Courtney Love was also violent and according to some, had a habit of hiring people to do her dirty work for her. An ex-boyfriend said when she was coming up in the L.A. scene, she would pay a guy she knew a hundred bucks to beat someone up if they pissed her off. Sort of that's a- the problem is that, that you don't know if that's horseshit or not. You don't. Eventually this story all sorts of feel, eventually this story starts to feel like it's high school rumors that got turned into international news yeah. because everyone's a millionaire. I like the idea of Courtney Love being the time Harding of punk. I think that's a great. Here's a hundred bucks. Go kneecap him. There's something there. Is, I, you know what? I'm, I'm going to end up liking Courtney Love. I just know it. By the end of all this, I'll be like, Courtney's kind of a fun person. Yeah, just like you ended up liking Elron Hubbard. Kind of. And kind the of. damn Courtney. 
creating jobs. <laughs> she went out there paying a guy to beat somebody up. But the problem is that in the punk community, if you just give guy a hundred dollars, he's gonna buy a bunch of Cheetos. Yeah. And like, you know, like he's not gonna beat somebody up. He's like, thanks. And then all of a sudden yeah. he's just high for three days. Or he'll just roll it up and he'll be like, well, I don't have any money. And he's like, no, it's a hundred dollar bill. Like, I thought that was for Coke. What do you, you spend the money? You know, and you know, to Courtney's credit, Hole ain't half bad. Hole's, Hole's, Hole's actually pretty fucking good. The al- the first album, uh, Pretty on the Inside, is pretty good. But I'd say you'd honestly be better off listening to like Bikini Kill or Babes in Toyland or L7 or something like that. If you're looking for more substantial Riot Girl material. And even if you're looking for like super good sludge, eh, go for Mud Honey. So it was. I had no idea the words that Marcus just said, by the way. <laughs> I just want to... <laughs> I honestly, it all just sounds like types of weed. It all just sounds like weed strips. <laughs> I got a fucking eighth of some bikini kill. All right. Yeah, dude, it's cool. <laughs> and so it was that in 1991, Courtney Love was actually a respected musician in her own right, as pretty on the inside, was getting very positive reviews. Mm. And for Kurt's part, Nirvana's breakout album, Nevermind, had already been released and was an almost immediate hit. And we really can't overstate how big Nevermind actually was. Within nine weeks, the album was certified platinum, selling a million copies. And this was a band that very few people had heard of. They were big in the underground scene, like a lot, because this was their second album. Bleach had come out uh, a couple of years earlier in 89, I think. Uh, So people knew who they were, uh, Mm. but and also for the most part, like this music wasn't on the radio at all. The music was so good. That people bought it, grown men bought it, even though there was a naked baby on the cover. <laughs> yes. Well, nowadays you just can't have naked babies anywhere because the pedophiles come out of the fucking woodworks. Right. But back in the day, it was art. And Pete Townsend loved it. I guess so. <laughs> uh, research. He was doing research, Henry. <laughs> no, Smells Like Teen Spirit, the, the hit that made the whole album. It was such a hit that Colgate paid $670 million to acquire the makers of the deodorant Teen Spirit. Wow. Because that's what it was named at. It was something like uh, Kathleen Hannon from Bikini Kill okay. uh, had written Kurt Smells Like Teen Spirit on Kurt's wall. And that's where the title of the song comes from. Oh. It just smells like teen spirit. And just to give you an example of how far-reaching this really was in a pop culture context and in a commercialism context, here's a commercial from 1992 from the teen spirit deodorant. Smells like teen spirit. Smells like the ocean. It's so good. Wow. Smells really natural. I'm a smellologist. It is Caribbean cool. And this smells good. I knew it smelled like teen spirit. Hey, this is for girls. This smells like teen spirit. Can I have it? I we lo- are the worst generation. <laughs> yes, I love the uh, like the just the 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 ozone depleting greenhouse emitting uh, natural o- like it's it's natural. It's like you know what natural is not spraying a bunch of chemicals under your armpit. Oh no no no! Teen Spirit was a roll on. Oh <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's why it was able to have so many wonderful flavors. It's it, oh, when they bought it, they don't flavors. They're not flavors, <laughs> by the way. Did you lick this roll on? Because you know what it was for, right? <laughs> Carolina said the same thing to me when I was telling her about this. I was yes. like, yeah, they ended up, you know, after they bought it, it was so popular, they ended up making 10 different flavors. It's, and she was like, I don't think flavors is the right word. No, it's not flavor wise. <laughs> it is it's not flavors. If you're licking it, it's the only flavor you'll get is numb. Yeah, or maybe an autism that comes from it. I'm not sure what happens if you lick nothing but roll on deodorant for years. 
Uh, by January of 1992, Nirvana had kicked Michael Jackson off the top of the charts. That's how big this was. They kicked off fucking Michael Jackson, but admittedly, they were replaced the very next week by Roping in the Wind by Garth Brooks. Oh, gotta love Garth. I know. Well, it's, wow. the, it's the album that had Rodeo on it. Yeah, sure. You know, and honestly, man, when in 1991, um, I actually, you know, in my small Texas town, we didn't really hear Nevermind until mm. a young man named Brandon Kelly, this poor motherfucker, moved from Seattle, Washington oh to Rochester, Texas. Oh, no. <laughs> in, in like 1992. If you like, ever when it was to, like the best time to live in The Seattle. fan that understood Kurt Cobain's pain the most <laughs> was this man. But he he brought with him all like the Nirvana albums and a whole bunch of other like awesome music from that time period. Uh, and he was friends with my brother. And my brother introduced me to all of this music through that. So well, that's how I came upon it. It was pretty fucking awesome. God, but- your parents must have been so scared. Nirvana, Ted Bundy pictures on the wall, <laughs> yeah. random ghouls hanging outside your window. All day just, just telling everybody how you hope to find a skeleton. <laughs> I hope I'll find a skeleton today, Mom. I actually did used to do that. I'd go out in the field like... Lo- we were not being satirical uh, in our description. <laughs> <laughs> One time I did find a, uh, a rock that looked kind of like an ear. Uh, and I kept that because I thought it was an ear bone. That's good what job. A great story. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Marcus. I'm known for my stories. Uh, Nevermind would stay on the Billboard Top 200 for almost five years. Mm. And to give you an idea of what that's worth now, the Cobain estate made $50 million in 2006 alone when Courtney Love sold 25% of her stake in the Nirvana back catalog to a music publishing company. Mm. But when Kurt and Courtney met, Cobain had yet to see any of that money, and the band was still showing up to 200 capacity venues in a shitty van with their gear carried behind them in a U-Haul. Wow. Like, this came out of absolutely nowhere. Like, they couldn't even keep up with their own success. Mm. And it was on this backdrop that Kurt and Courtney met at a Butthole Surfers concert in Los Angeles. The two immediately bonded over their mutual loves of fucking and heroin and were inseparable from then on. Well, according to Courtney Love, what she told, what she said was that she had been going after Kurt for a really long time. She had been trying to date Kurt, trying to date Kurt, but he was always very oblivious to female attention. Like he was always very, because of his, he was very, very shy, like painfully shy. And so we didn't know how to like connect to girls. And so what she did was that she kept going after him and going after him because of the, what we were saying. She knew that he was going to be a fucking massive rock star. And she made an altar in her house where she said, please let me, let my boyfriend be the world's biggest rock star. Like she was obsessed with it. That's what she says. This is what she said. (laughs) Right. Right. So we don't know what's bullshit or not, but what she says is that, which is if, if it's not a true story, it's disgusting. Why you would even make it up is that she was kind of like sucking the dick of this other like uh, music manager and bribed him essentially like kind of like teased him to get her tickets to the show, to that butthole surfer show and plane tickets. And he bought her, shipped her out there. She got on Kurt and finally just was like, you're my boyfriend now. Hmm. And he's like, all right. Cool. <laughs> I'll go with it. It reminds me of Finkel from uh, from Ace Ventura. How does that remind you of Finkel? Finkel didn't like Dan Marino. <laughs> And but what? but she wanted to get Dan Marino, and Finkel became Einhorn, a detective, <laughs> in order to get Dan Marino. Finkel is Einhorn. Einhorn, Einhorn, is, Einhorn is Finkel. Yes. Einhorn is Finkel. 
Now, some claim that Courtney was only in it for the money, that she latched on to Kurt because she saw potential. To this point, I actually believe Courtney when she says that she honestly thought that she was going to be more famous than Kurt. That's because there's actually evidence to back that up. When they got married, it was Courtney who insisted that they sign a prenup. Hmm. And this was even after the massive success of Nevermind. They could already see that he was going to, going to be a huge rock star, that there was going to be hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars coming in. But she believed that she was going to be more famous than him one day. Hmm. This was about power couple. This was not about money. This is about the both of them were the same thing about like, quote unquote, integrity and about doing it the right way and getting respect. And both of them thought. The idea is that I am a queen. I am the most powerful woman in the world. Should I not be with the most powerful man in the world? Together, we will be the most respected fucking royalty of yeah. rock and roll. And so she saw that far ahead of that, and she's like, I'm building this for Kurt, essentially. Like, we're going to be a power couple forever. Yeah. Jay-Z and Beyonce, to some degree. To some, absolute, uh, absolutely and, to some degree. But Jay-Z and Beyonce, they weren't junkies. No, they are not <laughs> junkies. junkies. As a matter of fact, they are, they're, they're athletes, basically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was watching a concert of Beyonce, and I was like, what? I, I started sweating. Yeah. Because it is physical labor, as opposed to Kurt, who mostly sat. Yeah, it sat, sat a lot. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, I don't know, man. Have you ever watched no, uh, footage around. of their live shows? Like, their live shows were amazingly energetic. Like, they were a mm. fantastic band to see. I don't Nirvana, like to watch. I don't like Nirvana to watch. Unplugged wasn't the only concert they ever I did. I know. Ben. I just don't like to watch people be all active because then it's like, am I supposed to be active? It's like, <laughs> what is happening? Well, I mentioned junkies. Let's talk about heroin. Kurt was a junkie, and to a lesser extent, so was Courtney. Courtney had about a $20 a day habit, but Kurt, at his worst, was spending $400 a day Jeez. on heroin. Courtney liked being fucked up, but only a little bit. Yeah. She liked being aware. She mm. liked being, being able to manipulate people and be in control of herself. Now, Kurt's excuse for the heroin was that he used it to self-medicate a debilitating stomach pain that plagued him throughout his 20s and only got worse after th the success of Nevermind. So this guy was, uh, as what he says, that he was dealing with a lot. I mean, first he was dealing with this debilitating stomach pain, and he was also dealing with being famous when he never really wanted to be famous. He wanted to make a living doing his music, yeah. but he wanted to be, you know, a punk rocker. Like, he wanted to just kind of be a guy that could go out there, make good albums, play good music, uh, but he never never wanted to be an icon. He's he never an, wanted to be a superstar. I think he's an introvert, right? He's much yeah. more, and a lot of musicians sure. are introverted, and that's why they, they attach themselves to the music, and the music makes them famous, not their stunning personalities mm. like us. But do you ah. think it was a psychosomatic ah. thing? The, or did he really have ulcers and that kind of stuff? Uh, well, he said that he they were his red spots. He would go to the doctor and they would scan his stomach and he had weird abrasions and weird... It just sounded like he was just a shitty kid and also had a terrible... Diet. He had a very terrible diet. He lived on fucking Coca-Cola and fucking potato chips and heroin all the time. Mm. Now, many people point towards Kurt's comments about his stomach pain during this time period as an indication that he'd always been suicidal, as he had said in interviews that heroin was the only thing keeping him from blowing his head off. But... Again, according to Buzz from the Melvins, Kurt told him that the stomach pain never even existed, and it was just a good excuse to do heroin under a cloud of sympathy. I see. see that sounds like a shitty joke. Yeah. That sounds like a <laughs> shitty joke to him. Honestly, it sounds like he's making a joke about the heroin use and the stomach pain because he really was in pain. I also think that Kurt Cobain was a little bit of a hypocrite in terms of he wanted everything exactly how he wanted it. Mm -hmm. He wanted an indie little career, and but he loved the money 
Of he course. loved the money. He loved all the fame. He loved he loved how big the music got. But he wanted it both. He wanted to you think that you could live one life and have be a rock star on fucking Wednesday, but then on Thursday be able to go to the supermarket. But that's just not how it works. Of course. Well, I don't think I actually don't know if he did love the money all that much. He loved the heroin. Four hundred bucks a day. He, <laughs> yeah. he definitely liked that much yeah, money. He definitely loved that money. Uh, but I, actually, I think he did kind of. He liked the fame of the fans because uh, yeah. Kurt Cobain, what he used. To to do is pretty much when he wanted to get away for a little bit, he'd go to a park or someplace like that. He'd look for kids with Nirvana t-shirts and he'd go up and say like, hey, I'm Kurt Cobain. You want an autograph or something like that? Uh, he never turned away a fan. He never turned away an That's autograph. Nice. It was the media attention that he hated more than anything. Sure. Like, he, and he did kind of want to have it both ways. He wanted to be uh, adored by his fans and make music for the kids, but he didn't want to have to deal with the business side of it. That right. unfortunately, yeah, music is a fucking business. Right. Always has been. And especially then you're much more of a cog in a larger machine as opposed to now where you can become a YouTube star and sort of control your own creative uh, uh, destiny. Yeah, there was a lot of people's paychecks that depended on right. Kurt Cobain. But and don't forget to subscribe on iTunes. <laughs> last podcast in the line. Five stars. <laughs> but whether Kurt Cobain was lying or not about the stomach pain, by the time of his death, it was no longer a problem. According to Kurt himself, reportedly, a doctor diagnosed the source as a pinched nerve that resulted from uh, his scoliosis. Mm. Uh, but some people also say that when he he said, like, oh, my stomach pain's cured. He was just talking about heroin, that he oh. finally found a medication that worked with it, and that medication was heroin. We just don't really know. There's a lot of, it's just a lot of this shit's just, we just don't really know. Well, I mean, at this point, I don't recall OxyContin being a thing. It wasn't. It wasn't around yet, no. right? I no, wonder no. if he would have uh, been prescribed something like that. Who, who knows? He probably would have been. And uh, probably would have died from that. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Like so many other fucking people are dying right now. Yep. Now, unfortunately, by the time the um, stomach pain was, quote-unquote, cured, he was already a full-blown addict, although he would make multiple attempts to get clean, specifically after the birth of his daughter, Frances Bean, who can currently be seen as the face of the new Mark Jacobs campaign here in New York City. Look at that. Yeah, she's on billboards now. It's nice to be uh, talk about a fellow model. <laughs> You know, which it doesn't seem like my big, and, by the way, Kmart, what's going on? Where's my big and tall campaign? But anyway, I don't want to get into that. No, by all accounts, Kurt was an extremely loving and dedicated father, but not so dedicated that he stopped doing heroin altogether. Mm. In the weeks leading up to his death, Cobain reportedly OD'd multiple times, just not bad enough to go to the hospital. Uh, and people say that it was actually Courtney who revived him those hmm. times that he OD'd. Now, this could point more towards the suicide angle as it is possible he was attempting suicide each time and finally decided to use a shotgun on the final try to make it stick. But the heroin has its own story to tell, as we'll get into on the next episode. I'll tell you what, it's a sleepy story. <laughs> yeah, it is. I just don't fully understand heroin. It's not a party drug. It's such a, uh, I guess it's a very personal experience, I suppose. Yeah. It's a, it's it replaces everything. Yeah. The whole point is that it replaces everything. It lowers all stakes because it makes it so that you just don't give a shit about anything. So you don't have to worry about your career. You don't have to worry about yeah. your marriage. You don't have to worry about being a dad. You don't have to worry about anything. It just evens the playing field to the point where you are a fucking walking skeleton. Yeah, it's kind of a zombie person. Well, it's a drug of despair. Yeah. So despite 
a new kid being introduced into the mix, things were rapidly deteriorating with Courtney. First, there was the money, which was getting to be more and more important to Courtney Love. Now, when the royalty checks for Nevermind started coming in, Courtney noticed that Dave Grohl, the drummer and current lead singer of Foo Fighters, and Chris Novoselic, bassist and currently political activist, and six foot seven <laughs> yes. wonderful guy Big, very tall man very tall <laughs> they used to mock him when i was growing up riddled with clots <laughs> most likely well kurt courtney noticed that the other two guys in the band were getting the same share as kurt despite kurt being the principal songwriter when they first signed the nevermind mm. deal they were like yeah three ways what, why the fuck else would we ever do it any other way? It was like a punk rock ethos type thing. Yeah. Uh, and, I mean, you say, like, Kurt Cobain loved the money. I mean, as long as he had $400 a day, he was fine. <laughs> okay. All right. That's his limit on money, 400 bucks a day? That's the hair. And Four- think about, but think about what he's saving on food. Think you know? about well, yeah, that yeah. kind of money you're saving. It's like he's making money. Right. Well, yeah, he liked the money, but he was never greedy about sure. the money. He didn't necessarily care about having a huge house. Like, in fact, when... When him and Courtney bought a big house outside of Seattle, the house that he ended up dying in, uh, he would say that he was embarrassed to live out there. Yeah. Uh, and when uh, he would go and stay out in hotels, uh, he would register. He would stay at flea traps. Uh, and he'd always. Uh, this is a fun thing. He'd always uh, register under the name Bill Bailey, which was Axl Rose's real name. Really? Yeah. Well, they yeah. had this weird feud. <laughs> I remember. I remember those two skinny nerds. <laughs> Axel Rose. I believe getting the ring was a, was getting the ring about Kurt Cobain. No. Get well. Getting the ring was about all the people that pissed off Axel Rose. Axel like, Rose weighed hundred and fifteen pounds if he had an erection. Uh, yeah. I mean, the guy couldn't fight a fly, and he was challenging <laughs> the entire world to get in the ring. <laughs> that was I, amazing. And, and again, this is where, to be honest, it always makes me mad. It's like the, the problem is that he was also a small town kid who was a child of divorce who was kind of unwanted by a bunch of people shuffled around from family members and shit like that so he just felt like he didn't deserve anything mm-hmm. but it was also kind of purposefully done and it gets good it's also this weird self-conscious thing of like he doesn't want to show that he cares about the money even though he's got all this money he was such a perfect Kurt Cobain such a perfect musician for your latchkey kid yeah the kid who comes home parents aren't there they're still working you got to take care of yourself he was ideal for that now, about these royalties, Courtney reportedly freaked out when she found that he, that the other guys were getting an equal share and hounded Kurt to do something about it, even though, by all accounts, he didn't really give a fuck about the money. Right. But Courtney finally wore him down enough that he eventually demanded a larger share, which actually almost broke up Nirvana, because uh, they called his bluff on it. Yeah, I mean... Uh, Kurt Cobain's getting worm tongued here, and they're like, "God, come on, man!" <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much what it's like. What yeah. are you? What are you doing? Why? Why does it why matter? Why drama? So much? Yeah. yeah. Why? Why even bring this up? Uh, but and then Chris was like, "We should do it by height, and I'll take ninety percent <laughs> of the money." <laughs> well, the other guys they they eventually agreed, and life moved on. Sure. And then there was in utero. Now, at one point, it is obvious that Kurt loved Courtney very much, and vice versa. Uh, I think, like, if you see interview, if you read interviews with Kurt Cobain and with Courtney Love, if you see how they were together, it's obvious they were these two weird, kind of shitty kids uh, who actually, for a while, had a great time together. Well, I think that she obviously did love him, and this might be a little bit hyperbolic, but the fact that she stayed clean during the pregnancy is kind of a sign that she was really happy with him. Well, not, she not didn't completely. Really. She, she did. No, <laughs> she did not really. No, she, she, she was doing drugs she at the beginning of the pregnancy. She was doing drugs at the beginning of the pregnancy and then came back. Basically, public opinion 
opinion force her to pull it all back and, and clean up for a little bit. Oh, okay. I was under the impression. Well, either way, she, the, the, Francis Bean is doing great. I hear she's a model. Now. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was That's act- how you have a skinny baby. <laughs> that is true. Well, that was actually the, the big controversy behind Courtney Love and Kurt Cobain is that Courtney Love had done an interview with Vanity Fair magazine in which she had pretty offhandedly mentioned that she had been doing heroin during her pregnancy. Mm. Uh, and I mean, and the world, when that came out, the world freaked out. And in fact, I after see. Frances Bean was born, uh, Child Protective Services took her away for about three weeks. Hmm. Well, it's nice to have a little break. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing about uh, Courtney. Most people did love her at first. Mm-hmm. But the more a person was around her, the less they seemed to like her. She was super charming. A lot of people said it was very easy to fall in love with Courtney Love. Uh, But the more they were around her, the uh, more the word abrasive was used. Mm. Can Uh, you imagine if the name of her band was Love and her name was Courtney Hole? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Honestly, (laughs) I, I, I often get it switched. (laughs) <laughs> Courtney Hole <laughs> Sounds like someone who's just always late to court <laughs> Ah, Jules Oh, Jules Make a wife smile today The road to getting engaged can be long and full of memories And pitfalls and landmines Or it can be short and thrilling Like a roller coaster on the way to the police department but the road to finding the perfect engagement ring is a straightforward path every time. All you've got to do is head over to BlueNile.com and they're going to ship them rocks straight to your wife's new fingers. On BlueNile.com, you can create a bigger, more brilliant piece than you can imagine. At a price you won't find at a traditional jeweler, Blue Nile is the original online jeweler since 1999. That's present time to me. Their diamond price guarantee means that in most cases they can meet or beat a competitor's price on a comparable diamond. I know when I got my wife a beautiful Blue Nile necklace, the first thing she did was, what did you do? But afterwards, she was so happy to have it, and she loved it, and she wore it when we went on vacation. And Maron, did everybody come around being like, Where'd you get that piece, you beautiful woman? And I was like, stop talking to my wife. She's spoken for. You can see it with the Blue Nile. Bling, she's got on her. Right now, get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more with code LASTPODCAST at BlueNile.com. That's $50 off with code LASTPODCAST at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. How many platforms do I work on? So many platforms. Can you believe it? Google Docs. Work on that. Very complicated. Lots of different things going out. Clickety-clack, right? Slack. Saying things to my employees. All of my, all my, my main doldgers walking around here. It makes sure it changes cluck to the word I meant for it to say to everyone. But I try to say not curse words on Slack. What am I supposed to do about it? But Grammarly doesn't fix curse words, does it? Because Grammarly's too good for it. It's too classy. It's Grammarly is an AI writing partner that helps you get work done faster with high quality writing. Because better writing means a stronger impact. The pen is mightier than the sword. Except when the sword is in the room. 96% of Grammarly users report that Grammarly helps them craft more impactful writing and suggestions based on your audience goals and context. Can you believe it? And data privacy and security are woven into the foundation of Grammarly. It's in its goods. All right. So Grammarly's great. Use it. I use it. I love its gentle harassment of my writing style because it does help me because sometimes my thumbs are faster than my eyeballs. 
Don't quote me on that. Get AI writing support that works where you work. Sign up and download for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said, done. One in five Americans have learned a new language on their bucket list. If that's you, make 2024 the year you finally check it off the list with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors. It's a waste. Don't waste hours on apps. Besides appetizers, that's the kind of apps I like. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Did you know that empanada is already Spanish? I didn't. Thanks, Babbel. Did you know that burrito is already Spanish? Wow. I just got to learn all the rest. And eventually, I'm going to be eating downtown Mexico. Thanks, Babbel. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash left. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash left, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash L-E-F-T. Rules and restrictions may apply. Now, Kurt, he was no exception to these people that tended to get tired of Courtney. By 1993, Kurt was writing lyrics like those heard on All Apologies, in which he sang, married, buried, over and over and over again. Oh, man, it's a great rhyme. It's a great okay. rhyme. It sounds it great. It comes down to just rhymes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and on Heart Shaped Box, which was named for the first gift Courtney ever gave Kurt, he sang, throw down your umbilical noose so I can climb right back, along with, I've been drawn into your magnet tar pit trap, which is the grossest way you can describe someone's vagina. Is that what that is? <laughs> yeah. Magnet yeah, tar pit trap? She has a very rare disease called gargoyle vulva, where it's charcoal black. <laughs> I didn't realize that. I actually know a little bit about uh, what that looks like, but I won't talk about it. Yeah. In other words, talking about these lyrics, they were not the lyrics of a man happy with his marriage. But on the other hand, he was, again, a smartass. And he could have been writing these lyrics as a response to the public's opinions about Courtney, which were, needless to say, not high at this point because of the Vanity Fair article. Mm. But also, to bring up fucking Beyonce and Jay-Z again, she just did the same shit to him in that Lemonade thing where she used the relationship drama to sell fucking records. Mm. And so it's the same shit. It's like he could be doing the same exact thing. I don't we- think he was doing it to sell records though uh, because this uh, because this was a purposefully non-commercial album they hired Steve Albini who's like you know the big underground producer uh, to record this album because they didn't want to just repeat Nevermind because in fact they said they didn't like Nevermind that much because the production was so amazingly slip, slick and commercial. Steve Albini I'm sorry I just immediately pictured somebody pushing a hot dog cart and this is Steve Albini's weenies come on down <laughs> Albini's weenies. <laughs> Nothing but pure black tar heroin in these weenies. Great for making music and terrible for falling in love. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> well, actually, uh, Steve Albini, one of his bands is Big Black. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. And Big Black's fucking awesome. Industrial. But yeah, Steve Albini is behind a, a lot of your favorite albums. He's awesome. amazing and did like a fucking great job uh, actually producing in utero. And even though they didn't use all the songs that he produced, that's a whole different conversation. A, good thing he's not a hot dog salesman. <laughs> I leave Warnos would have had to kill him. <laughs> well, either way, people describe Courtney's treatment during and around the recording of In Utero as nothing short of terrible. Mm. Like, she'd constantly hurl abuse his way, her favorite insult being, dumb fuck. 
is that mm-hmm. she called him dumb fuck over and over again. Uh, and she was all she was always fond of saying that he couldn't he couldn't hail a cab by himself. That he was because he was becoming completely and totally emotionally dependent on her. Right, and he was addicted to heroin, so he probably was acting you know kind of foolishly. Yeah. yeah. Also, oh yeah, he was he not, liked, probably not a great person not to be ni- around. Yeah, it's not nice to say to somebody though. He also liked that someone else was calling the shots. Yeah. Mm. Because then he didn't have to. Again, he's high on heroin all the time. He's overwhelmed constantly about his job and all the shit that he's dealing with. He loved that Courtney wanted to come in and take care of everything because then she gave him something. Right. But if you listen to some people, it was becoming pretty obvious that he was getting tired of it. On March 1st, 1994, just a month before Cobain's death, he supposedly called his lawyer from backstage at Nirvana's last show and told her that he wanted to draw up a will specifically excluding Courtney as a benefactor. Hmm. I can't wait till we get this successful, that we are calling divorce lawyers (laughs) right before we step on stage to do uh, last podcast on the left live. Henry, you're not married. We can't give you a divorce. I'm trying to get divorced from chocolate. (laughs) (laughs) See, Cobain was, according to the lawyer, planning to leave Courtney, and because they had signed a prenup, Courtney was going to only get a small settlement, if anything at all. The lawyer also said Courtney had called her and told her to find the meanest, most most vicious divorce lawyer in town and also asked if it was at all possible to void the prenup, both her and Kurt had signed. Now, there was indeed a will drawn up just before Kurt's death, according to police, but Kurt Kurt hadn't had a chance to sign it yet, and police have refused to reveal whether or not it does indeed exclude Courtney. Hmm. And some say it was odd that a man in his mid-20s would have even had a will, which points towards suicide again, but when you factor in that he was at this point a multi-millionaire with an extremely dangerous drug habit, it's not so far of a stretch. I agree. Also, he was a dad. Yeah. Once you have a kid, mm-hmm. that shit starts popping up because yeah. then it's about making sure something's going to happen. You're going to give you the money and go to the, co- the can go to his daughter. Yeah. Right. So after that show in Germany, Kurt canceled the rest of their European tour due to a throat ailment and flew to Rome where he was joined by Courtney. And this is the site of the supposed first suicide attempt, according to Courtney. Hmm. After dinner on March 3rd, 1994, Kurt called up a bellboy at the hotel where they were staying and sent him out to pick up a prescription for Rehypnol, better known as the date rape drug. Mm. All right away, so absolutely right away. Need something to fall asleep on your own dick? Absolutely. I'll do that for you, sir. (laughs) (laughs) Nice bellboy, I guess. Also, what they gave Freddy, or what they gave Jason uh, in Freddy versus Jason. Really? That's what the guy injected into his neck, remember? And then he gets sliced sliced in half? Oh, yeah. Or hypnol. (laughs) Now, when the bellboy returned, Kurt and Courtney ordered two bottles of champagne and proceeded to mix booze and pills, which you should never, ever, ever, ever do. Right. Never. There you go, Mr. and Mrs. Bailey. I hope you enjoy this little here suicide cocktail. Hope you don't need me help with your bags. Oh, no, you'll be dead soon, huh? All right, be seeing you. A little bit of tippins. Full the bellboy. Why is our bellboy in black and white? <laughs> now, when Courtney woke up. She found Kurt unresponsive with blood coming out of his nose, and so she called an ambulance. Now, Courtney said in Montage of Heck that this was a suicide attempt. Mm. He had done it, she said, because she had thought about cheating on him. That's it that she hadn't cheated on him, hadn't even told him she was thinking about right. it, but just her thinking that she was going to do it was enough to send him over the edge. But she still made it about herself. Yeah. Yes. As opposed to a man obviously crying out for help. Yeah. Uh, and she also says in the documentary that they pumped 67 pills out of his stomach when, 
at another uh, interview had said that they pumped 50 pills out of his stomach. And now I don't know where the fuck she's getting her prescriptions filled, and I don't know how it works in Italy, but it seems a little unlikely that they were able to send a bellboy out into the night mm-hmm. to get over 70 tablets of an extremely powerful tranquilizer. Now, Colton is here prescription yes, sir. says 70 pills. Now, are you trying to kill the entire hotel? Well, that sounds like a good idea. Thank you, sir, for your tip. Up, up, up. <laughs> Easy, easiest part again. Never seen an easier thing. One time I had to get an elephant in Alice Cooper's bedroom in order he can fuck the trunk. And I tell you what, he did it. <laughs> he did, huh? And uh, also the doctor who actually treated Cobain at the hospital said that there were nowhere near that many pills in his system and that it did not appear to him at all that this was a suicide attempt. He was just being an idiot. But mm. the question does remain, if Courtney wanted Kurt dead, why would she call an ambulance? Mm-hmm. Why not just let him die then? Right. Interesting. Because also you had not signed the fucking will yet. Well, no, he, yeah, because she was still all set up. She should have just killed him then. <laughs> yeah. Mistakes. You should, know, hindsight is twenty twenty. Henry. Should have just let him die. Uh-huh. Uh, she was also on roofies. She was also on, yeah, she was also on roofies, but she, so had she woken wasn't up. quick to act. I, I, I really don't, uh, I don't think that she, I don't, she's not a stone cold killer. No, she's not, she's not a stone cold killer, but you also wonder if uh, this was a suicide attempt, uh, then why didn't she tell anybody? Yeah. Why did she keep it to herself? Uh, why did she not say to anyone, like, hey, we should probably look after Kurt a little bit? He's suicidal. Right. Either way, after Cobain woke up from a brief coma, the two returned to Seattle. A couple weeks later, on March 18th, Courtney called 911 saying Kurt had locked himself in a room with several weapons and was threatening suicide. Mm. And this is another incident that people point to to bolster the suicide claim. But the patrol officer who showed up on the scene told a very different story. He said when he showed up, Courtney was standing on the front porch screaming that Kurt was inside and was going to kill himself. But when the officer officer went around back to enter the house through the back door. He said that he found Cobain standing in the backyard with his hands in his pockets. He said he didn't look, seem suicidal, just deeply embarrassed. Huh. And after answering a few questions, Cobain admitted that he just locked himself in a room after an argument and just didn't want to deal with his wife. And Courtney herself admitted that she didn't see him with a gun, and he did not say that he was going to kill himself. That goes. Oh, so Courtney Love is just a Godzilla-sized pain in the ass. (laughs) Yeah, and then they they did. I mean, they're just an immature couple, I guess. Yeah. This is what an immature couple. I'm locking myself in my room as opposed to dealing with the issue. Yeah, exactly. But nevertheless, this incident is still used to this day as hard evidence that Cobain was suicidal in the weeks leading up to his death. And to be fair, if Rome was indeed a suicide attempt, then Courtney would have had reason to freak out if he locked himself away, as there were indeed guns in the house. Mm. But even though it might have been a misunderstanding, cops still confiscated all of Cobain's guns, and Kurt was left weaponless. And this is when Kurt's friend Dylan Carlson comes onto the scene. This is another piece of fucking work. Ugh. All of the people that were surrounded them, their inner circle were just such garbage junkies mm. that it's it's fucking rough. It's so rough. Nobody Kurt, cared about them. Kurt yeah. Cobain's house is like a libertarian paradise. Just full of <laughs> drugs, full of guns. <laughs> yeah, I mean, none of the other members of Nirvana actually lived in the same city uh, as Kurt Cobain. They saw him every once in a while, mm-hmm. and people would come in and out. And I think it was uh, Chris Novoselic that said uh, that he saw Cobain a couple weeks before his death uh, and 
he said that he looked like shit. He was strung yeah. out. He was on heroin. Um, so, yeah, the people that they surrounded themselves with, yeah, I mean, junkies hang out with junkies. Yeah, and Chris was, uh, he was a big drinker. So, heroin, heroin addicts and alcoholics, you know, that, that's not a fun mix. <laughs> no. No. Yeah, well, that's usually because if you're uh, doing heroin and uh, drinking, you're going to die. Yes. Yeah. Now, on March 30th, nine days before Kurt's body was found, Cobain and Dylan went to a Seattle gun shop called Stan Baker Sports and bought a Remington 20-gauge shotgun under Dylan's name as Kurt was afraid the cops would confiscate that one as well if it was under his name. Now, what sport is shooting yourself in the head? <laughs> is, is, do you go in? I love that all these guns are always at sporting goods stores. It's like, we got footballs, we got basketballs, we got shotguns if you're suicidal. Uh, we also got volleyballs. <laughs> See... Kurt was a pretty staunch Second Amendment guy, saying he needed a gun for protection as he didn't have bodyguards, and he was, without a doubt, the biggest rock star in the world at this point, except for maybe Axl Rose. Now, Cobain's friend Dylan maintains that he never thought Cobain was suicidal, otherwise he wouldn't have bought him a fucking shotgun, but on the other hand, Dylan was a junkie, just like Kurt, and he might not have been in the most perceptive state at this time. Yeah, especially when your rock star friend asks you to buy a shotgun under your name. Just that idea of that right. seems pretty irresponsible. After the after <laughs> all of his gu- after all of his guns were already taken away. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So after dropping the gun off at his house, Cobain got on a plane and traveled to LA to check into rehab to give it one more go at the Exodus Recovery Center. He spent two days there before escaping over a brick wall and traveling back to Seattle. And this is when things get murky. Mm. We're not exactly sure when Kurt Cobain died, as he had been dead for a few days by the time he was found on April 8th. But what we do know is that according to a newly released police report, a taxi driver picked up a guy from Cobain's house on April 2nd and drove him to a gun store to buy some shotgun bullets. Now, do you tell... The taxi driver, that that's what you're doing? He asked the taxi you- driver. He told the taxi driver uh, that my house got broken into a couple days ago and I need to buy some bullets for my shotgun for protection. Mm. Where should I go to buy shotgun bullets? And the taxi driver took him to a sporting goods store. We go to my house so I can give you something for free. And then maybe you can kiss my wife for me. I'm a bit of what has been called a cuckold. <laughs> and I think it'd be kind of fun to watch you kiss my wife, you baby blue eyes. Is your name is your, your name's Kirtland? Could we? Can we just go to the sporting goods store? I think they have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I heard they got volleyballs there. (laughs) (laughs) However, the police report does not say specifically that the driver took Kurt Cobain to the gun store. It just says, quote, a male. Hmm. And whether it was Kurt or not, Cobain was dead from a gunshot wound to the head, along with the massive heroin OD, maybe by April 5th at the latest. Just a couple days after Courtney Love hired private investigator Tom Grant, who we'll introduce on our next episode. Oh, my goodness. Man. It really is sad, though. It's very and, sad. You know, uh, Patton Oswald actually had a great, great quote about drugs and alcohol, how they always beat art. Mm-hmm. And if Kurt Cobain could have just stayed healthy, I mean, he would probably be doing Mark Jacob ads right now as well, like a sure. pop model. I, I don't, don't even think care. So. Oh, yeah. I think he would be advertising for Taco Bell's new, like, Chalupa. <laughs> we got the new Sad Chalupa coming out with Dave Kurt Grohl Cobain. isn't advertising the Sad Chalupa. Chalupa's in way. And I would have no problem with him, with him selling out like that. No, I think, I actually, I, Kurt Cobain is, um, 
for me, the only artist who died young, uh, who I truly lament the loss of the music he would have made. Yeah, I, like, I, I think Kurt Cobain throughout the years would have come up with some pretty amazing stuff and would have done some great collaborations. Yeah, uh, he could have done like a Sergio Simpson thing. I imagine him going through a whole phase like doing like hardcore weird country shit because that's what he fantasized sure. about in a bunch of interviews about how he wanted to just be an acoustic guitar player like Johnny Cash hmm. in his later life. He was really funny. He's like, now we jump around all the time where I can't wait for when I'm old when I can just sit on a stool and play guitar. Yes. Like uh, like uh, Roger McGuinn, who I saw in Sleepy <laughs> Hollow, which was amazing. Yeah, I mean, he would only be in his early 50s. He would be 50 years old. He would be uh, so I, young I, still. I, yeah, yeah, I think he would have turned, fi- yeah, yeah, yeah. He would have been extremely young. And I think he would have, I think he probably would have been an artist for a little while. But uh, if it was indeed that he was planning to divorce Courtney Love and kind of go off on his own. Yeah. Um, I, I really do think uh, that he would have been an artist for a little while and would have uh, eventually ended up putting out some some pretty amazing music. Maybe he would have just gone the Jack uh, White route and just become an upholster. Which is all Jack, all Jack White does now is just upholster furniture. And it's like, he are you just a does a Jack? shitty job that somebody else doesn't want because he chooses it. Yeah, it's like it. when fucking Daniel Day-Lewis became a shoe cobbler. Why There's not? so many people who are sick of cobbling shoes. <laughs> but you know what, Henry? Some people love cobbling shoes. Why not? It's true. Awesome. It's true. All right, so the next episode, we'll get into some of the conspiracies around uh, what happened. And uh, I guess, like Marcus said before, we're going to present both sides and, and let the audience make their decision. And, of course, Marcus, you will let us know your personal thoughts at the end of the next episode. Oh, I have an yeah. opinion. I, I, I definitely have an opinion. Uh, but We are yeah. fair and balanced here. Yeah, Fair and balanced. Yeah, because I think this is something that nobody's ever really done before where uh, it's either somebody that's hardcore on one side or hardcore on the other. But, you know, we're really trying to look at all angles here because, really— uh, the the conspiracy itself uh, is really the the interesting nope. part here. Why people believe this conspiracy? I do have one question: Was there a robot made? <laughs> what, do they have a robot made? They did not have a Rosie. Okay, because I was going to say no. the robot made did it. <laughs> yes, but I guess they, Rosie, I could see she came yeah. alive and became jealous of the fact that Kurt Cobain could choose to make music because robots cannot understand the organic. Right. Choice to make okay. music. Well, wasn't <laughs> and the they robot were programmed to. Okay. And so how, how could you take? How could you choose to blow your own brains out for the fucking freedom? Of choice? Well, you know, I could see why a robot would be jealous. I'm gonna go back, rethink my inks, and I'll have a, my own decision as well. <laughs> it wasn't the robot made though, because it didn't exist. Um, awesome. Well, thanks so much for listening, everyone. And let's see, what do we want to talk about here? We got some live shows coming up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're. Uh, t- this is finally it. This is the week of our Texas tour. I'm coming Woo! home. Woo! Uh, <laughs> The wayward son has come home to Texas. <laughs> yeah, we're doing uh, Houston, Austin, and Dallas. Uh, Dallas, unfortunately, is sold out, but uh, there's still tickets left uh, for Houston uh, and Austin. Uh, but Austin is absolutely going to sell out, mm-hmm. uh, and Houston might as well. So go to cavecomedyradio.com slash live uh, to get your tickets to come see us live. Uh, and, of course, if you give to our Patreon, uh, you get early access uh, to all of our future shows. we got a Milwaukee show coming yes. out that we can't wait for. That's been coming home. I'm coming home. <laughs> uh, and uh, if you give just a dollar, you get early ticket sales uh, to all of uh, our future upcoming shows. Uh, and uh, we thank everybody who has uh, given our Patreon so far. Couldn't tell you how much we appreciate it. Patreon.com slash last podcast on the left is where you go if you uh, feel like we deserve it. Absolutely. And it's kind of nice that we can finally stop asking you to vote for stuff and stop. I don't have to ask watching for you to watch your pretty faces go to hell. We already did it. Thank uh, you so much for everybody who watched everything. Yeah. Yes. Check us on last stream on the left every Tuesday. 
8 p.m. on yeah. Easter Saving Time on AdultSwim.com. That's easy. That's free. Yeah. That's fun. Uh, and check out all the shows here on CCR. Page 7, Sex and Other Human Activities for all your political needs. Able against Top Hat for all your <laughs> drunken fun needs. Uh, Roundtable of Gentlemen. What, what am I doing? Did your, did your brain just break? You just said Sex and Other Human Activities for all your political needs and Abe Lincoln's Top Hat for your drunken friend needs. Yeah, that's what I meant to say. <laughs> Are you drunk? You know what? No, I, I have had a lot of water, and I'm on a cleanse right now. I've lost 10 pounds. Well, and, I, and I'm a month and a week removed from Papa John's. That's it's not, been actually hard because I get I so many emails from them. <laughs> My emails, I get Domino's and Papa John's, and they blast me. They you block them. I don't want to block them because I also love them. This is my <laughs> garlic sauce is my heroin. You could go back. You can if you can figure out how to do it in, in fucking moderation. You can go back to I, having pizza. I can't mm-hmm. because it's for sixty dollars. You can get God. ten pizzas. Sixty dollars. <laughs> I spend an average of sixty dollars, and then I do you a healthy eat. tip. You eat pizza. You eat Papa John specifically, like a military barracks. Yes, <laughs> but it's just me, and then. But anyway, a week, a month and a week, and I've lost 10 pounds. Congratulations. Thank you very much. I'm trying my best. Um, Yes, so Able Against Top Hat, Roundtable of Gentlemen, Page 7, Sex and Other Human Activities, uh, uh, Movie Signs with the Mats, Mm -hmm. and uh, and all the other, Wizard of the Bruiser, we must say that. And I want to thank the Cowmen. They made an amazing jingle for the BK for BK campaign, which is going extremely well, and we're having a lot of fun. And the jingle will be played probably on a Top Hat episode or something like that. Oh, of course. Thank you, and And It's absolutely hilarious. And and I'm coming in support for Ben Kissel, BK for BK. Vote for him so that I get closer to the Brooklyn president. <laughs> That's what I want. I want the power. You have the it. The power of having the aides being able to walk city halls without being worried about being issued a ticket. God, I would love that. I'm okay. still waiting for my woo. Well, I'll woo you at some point when it, when it matters. Um, uh, follow us on Twitter. Yes. At, I'm at Henry Loves You, at Marcus Parks, at Ben Kissel. Follow us on Instagram at Dr. Fantasty, at Marcus Parks, at Ben Kissel 1. And follow uh, Last Podcast on all the bullshits at LP on the left. Awesome. Um, hail yourselves, everyone. Hail Satan. Hail Gein. Hail me. Magustalations. Yeah. Yes. Oh, always. Yes. Always. Yes. Congratulations yeah. for no, liking us. No questions. Us. <laughs> yeah, thank, thank you. Congratulations for liking us. For 25 years, Mike's has been making lemonade the hard way. Mike's Hard Lemonade. Hard days deserve a hard lemonade. Mike's is hard. So is prison. Don't drive drunk. Premium all beverage with flavors. All registered trademarks used under license by Mike's Hard Lemonade Company, Chicago, Illinois. Your skin refuses to be defined by age. That's why Agency creates personalized anti-aging formulas that smooth fine lines, lighten dark spots, and improve the appearance of dark circles. Each formula is tailored to you and prescribed by a licensed dermatology provider. Formulas are customized with clinically proven ingredients like tretinoin, which is up to 20 times stronger than retinol. Get your first month free at withagency.com. That's W-I-T-H-A-G-E-N-C-Y.com. $4.95 shipping and handling subject to consultation. Subscription required. Cancel anytime.